Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast, and it truly is the DC3Cast, because I am Brian, and I'm with Vince, and returning to the show, proud papa, Zach Wilkerson. Welcome back, Zach. I'm back, I'm back. The bad boy of the DC3, he's back. <laughs> we missed you, friend. Oh, I don't believe it. You, no, there's there's mean... lots of audio evidence of us missing you. Yeah. Oh, well, like, I heard that Vince only exclusively tried to get me canceled the whole time I was gone. Now, you know, you know, Zach, my life has been a shambles since you've left the show. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that bringing you back restores some sense of normalcy to the world. Yeah. He, he truly brings balance to the force. Yeah. We missed you. You know, as much as I love Brian and 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 Walt, you know, it's just it's not the same without you somewhere in there too. So, well, that means a lot to me. The can, three jokers are back. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, can we reveal the initials of your child? Yeah, you can. Go for it. Zach's child's initials are D. C. Wilkerson. <laughs> But it was totally by accident. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would never intentionally do that. I don't. I. I. If. If anything, I would name them Shonen Manga Wilkerson. Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> SJ. Oh, but then they'd be SJW. <laughs> Perfect. Oh. There's always, always WSJ Weekly Shonen Jump. So that's true. Yeah, that's Which true. It would be as if you know, you know, Wilkerson, like uh, comma Shonen Jump. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. What would what would the um, you know assuming or Wall you... Street Journal? That's the other thing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say like if if you if you were gonna do SJ, what would the names be? I I'll, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Okay. Well, you don't have to because we're never going to talk about that again. So I'll I'll come back next week with names. Okay. Okay. All right. We're never going to have another kid, so we'll see about that. Scarlett <laughs> Johansson Wilkerson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. There we go. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. In parentheses, it says uh, Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's. We're gonna spend the first half of our show talking about Infinite Frontier number one, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Zermanico. So, Zach, how many weeks into Infinite Frontier as an event did you did you check out? Week four, maybe. Yeah, I read through the first month. Okay, so jumping into these books, you know, we'll, we'll talk about sort of each title if you have thoughts on how they've been going or whatever. But does it feel like? I guess what I'm trying to say is, does this issue feel like it fits in with the tone of what Infinite Frontier as a line has been, or does this feel like a separate event to you? Um, uh, I think more the latter. I, I don't from from what I've read of Infinite Frontier which is basically like the first issue of everything plus a little bit more of some things. I don't feel like there's like a clear, um, uh, like a clear theme for infinite frontier, you know, 
it doesn't feel not that it's not like cohesive or anything, but I don't I don't feel like there is just kind of like an overarching feel for the books necessarily. So this doesn't feel like part of something bigger to me. This just feels like the next thing. You know, this is this is what comes after death metal. What about you, Vince? Do you feel like this this is a good representation of the line or no? Um, it's interesting because the the Infinite Frontier Zero issue teased a lot of this stuff, but it also teased things that we have seen in Infinite Frontier so far. So I think I think Zach is more right. Um when he says it does just feel like the next thing. But I think, I think what happened was we were kind of told as a sales pitch that infinite frontier was going to feel like this very cohesive overall line wide thing. And what it really is, is it's like four or five cohesive corners that are maybe telling stories that interweave. So like the, but even that's not all inclusive because like the, so the bat books all kind of weave in and out of one another. Yes. The Superman books do to a little, to a small degree, but like the Supergirl title is its own thing that, you know, is not really a part of infinite frontier really, but you know, supposedly is in continuity. Um, it kind of feels like the new 52 um uh what what were those things called were they the were they imprints? groups no it was like was it it wasn't the lines it was the um families was it maybe so, yeah something like that it kind of feels like that to me cuz like you said there's like the bat books there's the super books then there's like the like teen titans teen, teen titans slash teen, suicide squad uh huh yeah uh huh and then there's like the Bendis books still, which totally feel like their own thing. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so you know, I think more than anything, Zach, I think what, the way that you described is true. Like this Infinite Frontier miniseries is the next thing after Death Metal. It just so happens that there was a zero issue that kicked all of this off that only partially had anything to do with it. So to me, in that way, doesn't it feel more like Marvel now? Uh, minus like, minus like the insanely disparate and and creative takes on some of these characters. Like, if you think about how Marvel now kicked off, there was a point one issue, point point one, point zero, point whatever there was it was. A point one, yeah, point one, right. point one, yeah. The story in that kicked kicked off all of marvel now but really the main plot of it or the main conflict was not the thing that was reflected immediately in all of these different books right if you remember what was that the main conflict of it, marvel i was now. gonna say i can't i couldn't for a million dollars tell you what the main conflict of marvel now was all these years later it was something with the cosmic cube i believe i think that was later because um, because marvel now the first Marvel Now, there's two, there were two Marvel Nows. That's important. Right. And I think there was also an all-new Marvel Now. I thought all-new um, Marvel Now was the second Marvel Now. Well, no, there was a there was a there there were two Marvel Nows that were both called Marvel Nows. Oh, boy. 
they did Marvel Now again after all new Marvel Now, if I recall correctly. Um, there is a there's a there's a there's an issue that kicked off Marvel Now that was like the table setter issue, and maybe it so, wasn't called Point One. Do you remember? I'm pretty sure the thing with Point One. I may be wrong about this. We, we would have to confirm Point One had that um i think it was ed brubaker story with the watcher that was going to be original sin and then he dropped it and then jason aaron picked it up again much later that is point one so i'm so so i'm thinking of there was an issue oh man we're getting way off the rails here we but are yes. there, there was <laughs> that's that's that this, this is the magic you bring zach no there was an issue that kicked off Marvel Marvel Now that had like a single page or two that teased Fraction and Allred's FF. Mm-hmm. So that, that, uh, hmm. What was that first issue called? I mean, it had to be point, there was only point one. Okay. Then that is what I'm talking about. Okay. And that <laughs> issue had some overarching story where. I'm I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the cosmic cube. Here, anyway, I'm, anyway, cosmic the cosmic cube stuff was that was all Nick Spencer, right? Stuff, which was later. I think it was teased. Uh... Here, there was an all new Marvel Now point one, <laughs> and there was also a Marvel Now point one. And then there was an all new, all different point one. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, regardless, Marvel, Marvel Now point one had it did have an FF thing. It had, um, it had a cable thing. It had a Young Avengers. It had Nova, and it had Guardians of the Galaxy in it. Oh wait, you know what? Point one was not the. I was wrong. Point one was not the. Uh, Hang on. It was not the Watcher thing. Look at this. No, it po- no. Did point... have, it did have the Cosmic Cube in it, didn't it? Kobik. Which, which it was partially written by Nick Spencer. So the, Nick the one Spencer that... did this? <laughs> okay, Zach. The uh... one that you're thinking of did have an Ed Brubaker watcher. Yes, that was 2011. The one I'm talking about that had FF in it is Marvel Now.1. That had cosmic cube shit being seeded by the awful Nick Spencer. <laughs> um, That's hilarious because that didn't happen until like twenty. That happened after 16. Secret Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our <laughs> <laughs> show's good again. <laughs> what was that? What was? The, what's the issue that I'm thinking about then? What was that thing called? It was. I called should have never one. asked this fucking question. <laughs> it was. It was called point one. It was called. Um, it was called. Oh, it was it, actually just point one. It was just Marvel point one. Okay, so that was the first point one. Yeah, and that has the Brubaker Watcher story. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Okay. So the point of that is to say that if you want to make an analogy, the um, the like dark side stuff from Infinite Frontier Zero or the um, Justice Incarnate stuff, that overarching, sto- the, the totality stuff that continues from um, Death Metal, you can think of that as the Cosmic Cube stuff that doesn't get paid off until later down the line. 
and really none of the other stuff in the Marvel Now point one, it was teased in there, but it didn't immediately have anything to do with that overarching plot, right? So this resembles Marvel Now more than anything to me, I think. Okay, so just to tie this off real quick, there was Marvel Now, <sighs> then there was all new Marvel Now, then there was Avengers Now, and then there was Marvel Now, which was sometimes designated as Marvel Now 2.0. The number one publisher in the world, my, my friends. <laughs> Only they could pull shit like that off. Anyway... Um, what I was trying to get, what I was trying to ask about here was like, to me, I find this to be an oddly timed miniseries just because I feel like if this had come out right after the zero issue, it would have felt like it was, it was able to be sort of setting the tone for the line as it's going. But like you said, Vince, it's kind of put all of these ideas out there for future stories and then it did not necessarily follow up on those for a few months until this first issue came out so in a way this feels a little bit I don't want to say disjointed from the, what's going on at the rest of the DC universe I, I don't think that's necessarily a fair way to say it but it doesn't feel quite as maybe integral as as it would have felt if it was a couple months ago does that does that make sense to everybody yeah Although I would say it's the other way around. In what in way? This is the only thing that matters. Correct. <laughs> and everything else is what's not integral. <laughs> Correct. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with that, to be honest. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, it just seems to me like this is a very... There's a lot that's happening here that... I mean, let me, let me, let me back up one second. Nothing happens here that is contradicted anywhere else in the infinite frontier status quo. Like everything is more or less covered. Um, you know, it, it's, it's all adding up. So I, I think in, in a way, Williamson did a really nice job of giving us a story that feels like part of infinite frontier, but doesn't really touch on any of the major things. You know, the, if you had asked Vince and I to, to recap the last seven weeks without you here or 10 weeks, whatever it's been actually, you know, there's, um, we would obviously say things like, you know, the Bat books are all doing their own thing. Almost nothing Batman happens in here. War World is a big thing. Almost nothing Superman related happens in here. Um, you know, but this still feels very much like it feels like it's carrying on the mission statement of that zero issue. And yet it doesn't really feel like the rest of the line, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, mm -hmm. it's like. We talked a lot while I was gone in Lad's chat about the idea of like the meta narrative. Yes. And like, while there is some of that meta narrative is made up of things that are going on in other books, like when, when, when you look at like the overarching DC universe story five years from now and like you look back on this era, like, part like you mentioned you know we will be thinking about like okay world world was part of that and whatever's going on in batman is part of that but like really the important stuff right now is what is in this book like this is the the overarching story is what 
we you know the end of death metal into infinite frontier zero to this and so like comics have to kind of drag that out like the the important story can't happen month to month it only happens piecemeal like two or three times a year and that's what this is yeah i guess that makes sense to me i could buy that i'm really yeah. seeing it because i ha i can't be here more than 30 minutes and not talk about the x-men books but um <laughs> they fell off no they didn't you need to read planet size x-men um and they fell off no well they did fall okay they did fall off though because like uh ten of swords happened and then everything between ten of swords and hellfire gala or gala is like doesn't matter at all mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. it's like it you know it's set dressing um you know may, a few things here and there matter um and i kind of feel like the same thing obviously i haven't read all of the books between infinite frontier zero and infinite frontier one but it's the same thing you know really you read infinite frontier zero you read death metal and infinite frontier zero together and then you wait three months and there's a lot of stories in between and you can read them or you don't have to read them and then you pick up infinite frontier number one and it doesn't matter mm -hmm. you know you're, yep. you're you're right you pick up right where you need to be correct and also, you could also just read Flashpoint and then just read Multiversity <laughs> and then read Infinite Frontier and you would have a really great uh, series of stories that almost kind of fit together and you don't have to read any of the New 52 or Rebirth or post-Rebirth at all. Mm -hmm. That's um, right. That's my new headcanon. I will say that to get... To understand Infinite Frontier, you kind of need death metal, but you don't need metal. You don't, you, you don't really have to. You don't have to because you can just pretend that after Multiversity, everybody knew about the multiverse, and you can just ignore that one panel of the Batman who laughs, and you're you're golden. <laughs> um, this this whole affair really has me rethinking. Okay, so there's a push and pull in comics um, f from time in immemorial that, like, um, lots of people decry the fact that there always seems to be an event going on, whether it's at DC or Marvel, right? Mm -hmm. When there's lots of events going on one after another, public outcry is very much like, let's get away from events for a while. But when you don't have events for a while, you have this downtime where you're reading these individual books, which may or may not feel like they matter. They may or may not be good. But reading, picking this issue up, reading Infinite Frontier number one, like immediately I was like, this is the shit I want to read. This feels important. It looks great. It's got all these characters doing important things that feel like they matter. It it is the it's the meta narrative that I want, and I so now I've almost done like a, a one eighty on because I used to be the guy who was like, oh, event books are my least favorite thing. I I want to find the stories that I like that fall through the cracks, that you know maybe not enough people are reading. 
I think in this day and age, with the way that the way that comics are are generally published, I this is what I want. I only care about the meta narrative now. <laughs> so like, I I think it's because, and we were also kind of talking about this earlier. Um, there just seem to be fewer of those kind of special books that do something really unique and interesting um you know things like um like deathstroke yeah things like the deathstroke or the priest deathstroke run or you know some of the bat books during the morrison era you know like the batgirl and the red robin or like you, you know that that kind of thing and there are a few of those in Infinite Frontier. I would say, like, Teen Titans Academy is that. Mm-hmm. Um, Robin. Robin is kind of that. Um, the Flash is that with mostly bad art. <laughs> the, the Flash is that, but because of the art, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, yeah. It feels like any other book when it, when it's really it's really secretly better than that. Yeah, so, like... When you don't have those really special books and everything just feels kind of not to be like disrespectful, but just kind of workmanly, you know, just telling telling Superman stories because we have to tell Superman stories. Although I do I do like the Superman books right now, um, at least one of them. Um, one and of them I, yes. I, I imagine I'll like the other one next month. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. But like you know, we 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 gotta keep telling Superman stories. We gotta keep telling Batman stories, um, and without without doing anything like fresh or new, then it's just like, yeah, just please give me the next important thing instead. Um, please give me more Justice Incarnate. Well, that's that's the real <laughs> key here, right? So yeah. Anyway, let's let's talk about this book, uh, sort of uh, not necessarily page by page, but just some of the big beats that happen in this book. So it begins with a rocket crashing on a on, in a uh, Kansas cornfield, and it is Thomas Wayne, the Flashpoint Batman, crashing onto President Superman's planet. And I I just love how much minutia you need to be aware of to understand what's <laughs> happening in that scene um you've got a narrative yeah, exactly yes uh but it's, it's fantastic and um then you know we, we spend a fair amount of this book sort of with the multiversal heroes with um captain carrot and it, uh r- real quick one thing i did want to know that's kind of interesting on that first page the first words of the comic our worlds, worlds will, will live worlds will live uh-huh. Um, which I wonder that's not picked up on anywhere else in the issue. So no. I wonder if like the next issue will begin with like worlds, worlds will, will die. die. Yeah. Or I wonder if the idea or, is, is that, is that this is just, this is the infinite frontier, right? Where, yes. Yeah, exactly. That could be it too. Where worlds aren't going to die anymore. I mean, I, I'm sure they will eventually die, but you know, the idea of it being that, that there is now this infinite, number of, of worlds and so that's the more important piece um, yeah. I, I actually had that written down as well Zach so we get a look at Justice Incarnate and uh, we don't really follow up with Thomas Wayne 
too much here, but we, we do get a little sense of just sort of what the structure of the Justice Incarnate world is right now, where Barry Allen is is running through the multiverse, and we get to see a fair amount of planets, of, of rather, of Earths that he runs across, and some of them are classic Earths, like you see him on Earth 2, and you see Huntress, the classic Bruce Selina offspring Huntress running around there, you know, we see the Kingdom Come Earth, we see the Superman Red Sun Earth, we just get, you know, just a, a nice little tour of the multiverse there, and... I don't know if we're ever going to get a Justice Incarnate title or if we're just going to get basically this story being told across big event books and maybe like in a Justice League title or something like that. But I I think this is a really fantastic status quo. And I hope that the only time we see this, I hope that this this title isn't the only time we see this because I want more of this. And I'm sure you guys agree with that. Yeah, I think the only time I would ever want to have a Justice Incarnate title is if Morrison was writing it. Right. Um, that just only feels right to me. And isn't it great that we live in a in a DCU that where Morrison won? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. That's the that's the the beauty of Future State Infinite Frontier stuff. Like how much of that Morrison stuff came back. Yeah, I mean, this issue has, like, besides just Justice Incarnate, um, the Whirligog is yes, here. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, Speaking of which, Extant, as a jobber, yes, like, gets some... defeated in, like, two pages. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh. Um, total zero-hour th- yep. reference there, of course. Mm-hmm. And, Man, um, this is, yeah. you know what I want? I want an Infinite Frontier... The... <sighs> This should have been a weekly. <laughs> this should well, have been okay. the next. Oh, go have ahead, you, Zach. I, will, it, I do. I like events that are weeklies. Um, although I think this is coming out at like a slightly faster pace. It's every just, three it's, weeks instead of every yeah. four. Yeah. Um, but um, there were those secret files issues, which I have not read any of and don't actually know how they connect to this. I don't even know where to find them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am hoping to catch up on that before the next issue of this. So we'll see if I actually do that or not. Um, but yeah. So um, we also get some time here with Alan Scott and Obsidian. And this follows up on, although it is not referenced at all, but we just read an Alan Scott Obsidian story in the DC Pride issue a couple weeks ago. And so this isn't the first time we've seen these characters interacting. And, and there's there's sort of this uneasy relationship between the two of them. You know, Obsidian brings up that Alan wasn't really there for him ever. And, you know, if you go into the Alan Scott history... And also that he didn't exist for a long time. <laughs> yes, I, I do appreciate that he says, like, or you were lost in time, or whatever he says. Um, I very much appreciate that. But, yeah, this... Um, I. I thought that overall this issue did a good job of sort of getting you on pace with where Alan is like, and it's, so Alan, is he a part of justice incarnate or he's something, he's part of something else, right? Well, they're, they're being cagey about it, but didn't he mention something in a previous issue about they, they want him to be in checkmate or well, I know we get a checkmate book that doesn't have him in it, but like the checkmate book, I'm pretty sure takes place 
in a time that is not now (laughs) or whatever, however they want to say that. Um, But no, I I, I think it's like, I think he basically says that he's going to be like patrolling the skies. I want to say that. Yeah, he says he he said he references Sentinel as his. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that might have even been in Infinite Frontier Zero, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. But there's this sort of idea that like, well, the Justice Incarnate is monitoring the multiverse, it seemed like Alan is sort of monitoring the the, the Earth and like from alien threats. Um, at least that's how I remember it. I don't. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, him and Obsid- uh, Alan and Obsidian enter the, an old J- JSA headquarters, and there's a big green explosion, and we don't know where Jade is. Um, any Obsidian Alan Scott thoughts, Zachary Vince? Uh, not much in here. I, I think this really plays well coming off that pride issue that, that you talked about, Brian. Um, mm-hmm. Zach, I don't know if you read that story. But... I, I haven't, no. Um, but I I did like pull it up to flip through it because I hadn't, I hadn't looked through it yet. Um, there is some really good art in this issue. There is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is. I'll, have to, I'll have to swing back around and read this one. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I really like these characters a lot, and they have their characters who have been criminally underrepresented for the last decade. So glad that they're kind of headlining this. Yes. Uh, the next sequence involves Director Bones and Cameron Chase, and Director Bones wants her to come back and work for him at Checkmate. Is that what he, is it? Checkmate or is it the DEO? I can't remember now. Which uh, one? D- DEO. DEO. That he is he is sort of restarting the DEO, which is funny because just like, again in Checkmate number one, it talks about how the DEO is in shambles, but that's not in the same timeline. So and then he basically he says like you're gonna you- get angry messages if if you say it's not in the same timeline. Yeah, so people are gonna think you're. You you you're gonna make people think that you think it's out of continuity. No, it's in continuity. It's just it's it takes place it takes place at the end of Event Leviathan where it was supposed to take place. Right. Which, exactly. Which is which is funny because do you remember how like Checkmate was solicited, then it disappeared. Yes. Bendis said something on social media about we're it's coming, we're shelving it until a time where it makes more sense. <laughs> which to me would have been the perfect opportunity to just tweak a little dialogue here and there and have it make sense. Well, we'll talk about that in a little while. Let's, let's get we through will. this issue first. Yeah. Um, but uh, bones shows chase something and she basically realizes that she has to go back to the DEO after yeah, that. It's that, it's that drawing of uh, John Arbuckle being held in the muscular Garfield's arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I thought you were gonna say it was the drawing Jackie Treehorn did in uh, *The Big Lebowski*, <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know which way you were gonna go with that. But I appreciate. If I was, if I was Walter, that's what it would have. Yes, one hundred percent. That's what Walt would have said. Um, so anyway, uh, we get a little bit more of Thomas Wayne here, and we see some of Justice Incarnate, and um, there's a really good 
series of dialogue here between President Superman and Thomas Wayne, where he says, get the Flash, you can explain all the science mumbo-jumbo, and President Superman says, which one? He says, Barry Allen, and he says, which one? Uh, <laughs> really enjoyed that sequence there. Um, very cool stuff. And then as we get Barry running through the different Earths, we get Earth 2, Earth 6, Earth 9, Earth 13, Earth 22, Earth 30, Earth 42, and Earth 51. Were any of those of particular note to you guys? Do you want to talk about? I mean, not story-wise, I think, you know. Yeah, no, they're all they're all ones that we've seen before. Yeah. But then we see him show up on Earth Omega, which is a place that we I guess we're introduced to in Infinite Frontier Zero, and we see the bodies of the quintessence. And, um, you know, this is always going to be confusing because uh, like we had talked, I think, with... I forget if we talked with... If it was when Scott Snyder was on the show or Josh Williamson about, like, how, like, the Shazam in this is not the Shazam that's been in DC for the last 10 years and all that. But... It appears, but it's that, weird because like the High Father is <laughs> right, exactly. Yes, so it's it's very strange how how the, sort of what the quintent how the quintessence fits into all of this. But we see the bodies of the quintessence, and Barry needs to get them back to a lab. He knows they've been dead for a few weeks, but wants to figure out sort of exactly what what happened here. Um, we saw the quintessence die at the hands of Darkseid at the end of Infinite Frontier Zero. So this is not necessarily a surprise. Um, but then we see we, we have the sequence I want to talk about, which I think is Zermatico's best page in the book just because of how how many styles he sort of has to go through at once here, where we see Barry like basically all throughout time in different panels, different incarnations of him. And we see him with your friend and mine, the Psycho Pirate. Mm-hmm. This is maybe my favorite part of the the whole issue, actually. The Barry Pirate stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, like that that page that you described, but then really, like the Psycho Pirate reveal, and he's got that ridiculous checkered dark side <laughs> costume, um, like that. That's. <laughs> that's like um before i was so jaded by superhero <laughs> comics this would have been like my gabagool right here i would have i would have gone nuts for this um i mean it still is right it's still like, pretty cool it's it still is. pretty cool yeah he's basically wearing like the anti-life symbol on his chest mm-hmm. and glowing and yeah. uh you know and so he he tells barry that there's a crisis coming, but this time you and I are going to be on the same team. And, you know, obviously it, it it's sort of implied here that Psycho Pirate is working for Darkseid and that he is trying to recruit Barry to Darkseid's side of the, of the battle here. And I really wonder if there's any, like, convincing in-story reason why Barry would ever team up with Darkseid, but I feel like Josh Williamson has been so good at giving characters proper motivation throughout his run. I feel like one of the things I'll say about Williamson as a writer is I feel like his characters almost never act out of character. Vince and I were Mm -hmm. talking about this with Supergirl, the new Tom King Supergirl book last week, and how I just felt like that's 
so out of character for Kara in a lot of ways. Williamson always tends to write people feeling very true to who they have historically been. So I'm very interested to see how he's going to handle this Barry Cycle Pirate stuff throughout the book. Somebody else yeah. has been talking a while. Well, um, speaking of Tom King, it is just funny how we thought that Psycho Pirate was going to be this big part of the DCU like three years ago, and it ended up <laughs> not amounting to anything, and now he is finally here. So, that, so I, that, I just thought that was funny. That whole bat run is wild. Not like oh, Not to go off on a tangent, but since you brought it up, Zach, I was thinking about this too the other day. Remember the like the Gotham and Gotham girl and how they were like their powers came from somewhere mysterious and we thought that was going to be like a major storyline of the of the rebirth era and the and whole thing of, <laughs> yep and the whole thing about like Duke and Duke's future and oh yeah yeah and 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 the the running theme about like Batman inflicting violence on people and it having some sort of real world material and, cost and they and never CTE. did it. Yeah. And CTE, <laughs> which I'm, I'm being cheeky when I say like, I thought Batman was going to have CTE, but they were playing with that. At, they were playing with like the, the, the human cost of violence as like an element of that run and then did nothing with it. Yeah. <laughs> So just you having brought that up, like there's so much stuff from that run that I feel like was touched on and then completely dropped. Oh, it's we also all... funny that the last time we saw Thomas Wayne was in that run. Yep. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, we also thought Psycho Pirate was going to be a big part of Heroes in Crisis. Right. Yes. Yes. Because didn't they all have like Psycho Pirate masks? Essentially, yes. Yeah. Well, anyway. Anyway, what I want to say about this is like, just think about how much this issue accomplishes as far as like the Barry and psycho pirate bit, the justice incarnate stuff, the quintessence, uh, you know, revisiting the quintessence, uh, dark side kind of hanging over the whole thing, the bones, DEO stuff, like so much happens in this issue that it makes you wish, you know, you read the, the, my big thing about infinite frontier was when those first, like, first you know month or maybe two of issues came out it really seemed like these books were going to be less decompressed like there was going to be more going on and that everything was going to feel meatier and then as the months went on and they started to just recycle <laughs> these same what you just made me think of the the meteor meme from like <laughs> half a year ago do you remember that uh the, I don't... The, the the girl saying like meet meteor meteor over and over again. No. I don't. All I know uh, is meteor leading man parts. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, you know, three four months in, you start to see how these arcs are being dragged out into these five and six issue affairs, and themes and plot points are being revisited ad nauseum. And I, you know, Green Lantern is like one of the books that breaks away from that and has been really good at giving us lots of new stuff in each each issue. I feel like Teen Titans Academy does that. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, obviously this is an event book and it's different, but that's what that's part of what makes it so good. You know, this book is just constantly throwing 
new shit at you. And it's not forgetting about character, right? Like you said, Brian, like there's a lot about Barry that it stays true to here as for him as a character. And you can have that and you can have just this like barrage of new ideas in each issue. And I think that that's the thing that the interstitial comics that don't quote unquote feel like they matter, that that's the problem with them, you know? Um, by the fourth issue of uh, Tynion's latest uh, Batman arc, I get it, you know, and I'm not seeing anything new. And and stuff like this psycho pirate moment, just like I, it, it, it feels like it opens up all these possibilities, you know, in just a couple pages. Yeah, I agree with yeah, that. Definitely. So after the psycho pirate scene, we get a scene of a woman in a diner who's trying to explain to her parents that she remembers basically the sky turning red and the Batman who laughs, and they have no idea what she's talking about. And there's a mysterious redhead behind her who remembers it also, and that is uh, your friend of mine, Roy Harper, who is back from the dead. Roy is in this diner, and then there's this guy who's getting very mad, saying the multiverse is not real. And, uh, you know, just basically saying superheroes are lying oh, to us. Kind of like COVID, am I right? <laughs> That's what Zach did with his time off. Yep. <laughs> he watched a lot of YouTube. <laughs> he is now a subscriber to Newsmax. Uh, so then, so then the, the, these, um, these, <laughs> these bad dudes in armor break into this diner that Roy is in. And they are going. They are trying to capture him. We don't really know who this person is, but we know that they are looking out for. They they are trying to capture Roy, and then Roy is basically. He he is. I, do we say he's rescued? What what is, do we know exactly what's happening here, or is it is it's just very vague what actually happens? No, I think we know. What do you think happens here? He. He he manifests. He makes Black Lantern constructs. Now, do we think that he does that? Did he already have that in him, or did something happen to him here that then gave him that power? I think he already had it. He had it, and 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 it was kind of a flight or f- fight response. Um, okay, was my was yeah, my that's, that's kind of how yeah. I took it. Kind of how I took it too. Um, and and he is now like a wielder of it, it's weird because he, he kind of looks like a combination of the White Lantern and the Black Lantern there, right? What do you mean? Like he's he's wielding these Black Lantern constructs but they're all bathed in white light. I think that's just like a design thing. I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be like that he is the combination of the Black and the White Lantern. I I don't know where the white would come from. Yeah, I think I think it was just I, I think it was just a way to so way to illustrate that illustrate is, these constructs in like a negative Mr. Negative uh, sure, fashion. Sure. Because this is correct me if I'm wrong, like Williamson has kind of intuited that this is Bruce's ring from Death Metal. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I think he's just I think it's just a design thing. I think the the, it's, re- it's... the reason that I was that I was thinking about it as a White Lantern thing is: Do you remember? Was it when 
was it when Kyle got the White Lantern ring? Where basically it just manifests out of nowhere. Like no, like it, it like basically, basically the power was within him the whole time, right? Well, didn't he? He got White Lantern power because he magically mastered all seven emotion right. colors, right? And it gave him White White Lantern power. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, sort of, just this, like you know, we we've seen that before, not have to be given to someone. Yeah, like just, that that's that's sort of where my mind was with this. Yeah, no, I, don't I think, think he just I somehow think it would... has. Go ahead, Vince. Oh, sorry. Uh, I th- I think that would be too much, like playing with your action figures. <laughs> <laughs> that's like one step too far of the nuttiness of Infinite Frontier. I think. Yeah, but sorry, Zach, go go for it. No, no, I think I I think it is just like as simple as he somehow has Bruce's ring. That's why he is alive again, maybe. Although you could also just as easily explain him being alive because of Infinite Frontier happening and everybody being alive. Well, or... Yeah, are, are, are you caught up with The Flash yet, Zach? No, I'm not. So, um, you know how The Flash had Wally like leaping through time into different yeah. speedster bodies? This issue ends with him leaping into his own body in Heroes in Crisis. Interesting. Okay. And so we, we were debating on last week's show whether we think that DC is just going to totally wreck on Heroes in Crisis in that Flash story. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. I'll have to catch up on that. I plan on it. Yeah. I plan on catching up on most things. Maybe even everything. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but so I, I think that it's interesting to have Roy as the new avatar of the Black Lanterns because we're well, not avatar, but as the, the wielder of the Black, Black Lantern ring, the way that, you know, um, Black Hand was in Blackest Night, because it's 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 a power. It's a skill a ring, whatever that has been historically associated with villains. But Roy is clearly not a villain here. And so I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how sort of the power would work in the hands of somebody who doesn't want to use it for evil. Mm-hmm. I guess when, when, when Bruce wielded it, he was wielding it like to build an army. There was a specific purpose for that. I'm yeah. interested to see what, what Roy does with this. Yeah. This, this feels more like the classic, like, Oh no, this is going to corrupt me now. <laughs> right. Zach, you're 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 the Jeff Johns Green Lantern boy here as well as the rest of us. What do no, you think? I'm not anymore. Well, we all were the Jeff Johns Green Lantern boys. Um, what what do you think about the Black Lantern ring coming back like this? Uh, it's I don't know. I feel like the Black Lantern ring and the White Lantern ring were never used effectively or interestingly after. Blackest Night. I kind of wish they had both just gone away. I think the White Lantern ring has never really been yeah, fully... I, I think it's, you're right, too. Yeah. 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 Well, it's um, so powerful. What can you really... like? Ha- if you have somebody wield it, they're essentially God. So it makes it very hard to tell compelling stories about the character. Yeah, there's there's yeah. there's got to be a way, though. I mean... That, oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, I just... Uh, I'm, I... It's cool that it's back. It, it's just weird how um, uh, 
I almost kind of feel like any it's interesting how like separated I feel like the black lantern and white lantern concepts are from like the green lantern mythology even at this point um because most of the times they show up outside of <laughs> that context now yeah. you know it almost it's like a completely different thing and for some reason that bothers me <laughs> um I don't know. I, this isn't like a status quo that I expect to last past this miniseries. No, I don't either. But I do think that this is going to allow Roy to exist past this miniseries. Definitely. Yeah, he will. But he, he won't be. A, although I think it might. Mm, I was going to say, I think it would be cool if this was like his status quo. But I also don't know how that would even work. Yeah, I mean. What if we get what if we get a Black Lantern Roy ongoing? That'd be weird. Did, I mean. Black Lantern. I I do kind of wish sometimes that DC would have the balls to shake up these characters that they seem to not know what to do with uh-huh. in ways like that. Yeah. Like one of the things Brian and I talked about with Tim and, and the possibility that, that he's bisexual is that like they haven't known what to do with Tim since the New 52 started, you know? They haven't really tried all that hard, I guess. But like, if you want to think about a way to set him apart, or a way, or, or some unique into his character that 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 gives him something to do, um, compared to like this 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 thing that they tried to do since the New Fifty Two started, where he's like this, uh drifter robin that doesn't know who he's supposed to be you know um i i feel like just take chance with some of these legacy characters that feel like they're redundant you know it's kind of like the um connor kent thing too like right now he's a member of the suicide squad i'm not really liking that book but at least it's something different for that care a different way to use that character that you wouldn't expect that keeps him around it's better than shelving them right yeah yeah absolutely did you guys speak speaking this is totally off topic but have you guys do you see that the thing about the titans united book that's supposed to have connor in it yes oh yeah is that just a one shot or what is that i it hasn't been uh it hasn't been announced yet i don't even know if it's supposed to be in continuity although i don't know Um, we haven't gotten the full solicits yet yeah yeah um, so I, I guess we'll see about that. Yeah. But no, I, I think that um, I think that it could be very cool to have a Black Lantern status quo. I just have no idea how that how that could possibly work. <laughs> like, I just I just don't understand it. But but overall, what do we think of this of this first issue? Is this something that we're worth jazzed about? It's the only thing I care about now. <laughs> now that Aaron Rodgers is not uh, reported into camp, this is all you care about. Yeah, right. I think I've just distilled all your farmers only posts into one sentence. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Yeah, plus, plus bat dental dam. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well, let's take a break, and when we get back. We'll uh, fly through the rest of these books for this week, or at least some of the books for this week. <laughs> 
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. So, just a note, we picked the most important books of the week because we are getting to a point where Infinite Frontier titles are making up uh, a bigger chunk of of the weekly DC stuff. So we went out and we picked, we, we felt were maybe the most important or the most relevant books to talk about. So we're going to talk about uh, five other books this week and we'll probably keep this up any week that has more than like six or seven titles we'll just pick the most important ones to talk about them that doesn't mean we're dropping any titles like we didn't talk about justice league this week but i'm sure we'll talk about justice league again in a few weeks um, yeah also this i mean this week did have infinite frontier number one which was yes kind yeah. of a big deal exactly yes we, <laughs> on the last episode we didn't ta- even say what we were reading that's this true yes we normally do that's true um Anyway, let's talk about Action Comics 1032, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by Daniel Sampier. Uh, Zach, what do you think about Action Comics right now? Uh, I think Action Comics might be my favorite book right now. Oh, wow. Maybe. <laughs> um, Is it because it's the most like an X-Men book? I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. It's exactly. not. It's... um. No, I just really like it. Um, I of all of the future state stuff, I think I was most invested in the Superman world war world stuff. Um, and this is just playing into that. Um, I really like Daniel Sampier's art in this, which I've never been a big Sam- Sampier fan, but I I feel like in this run he's like really killing it. Um, Brian I, and I have talked about some of the artistic glow ups and, and yeah. he was one of them for sure. Yeah, he's one. I really like um, I really like how many things the series is doing. Like it's tying in the future state um, war world stuff and potentially we're seeing some of like the the big Superman family stuff, like the, the future Superman stuff from that. Um whatever that one shot was called and, and what that the annual issue I think next month is going to, going to have mm-hmm. um, like touching House on of some L. of that. Yeah. House of L. That's what it was. Right. Um, like touching on some of that stuff, touching on the, the John and uh, not, not in this issue, but like in some of the other issues, like touch, touching on like the John and the future stuff. Um, I really like how much Atlantis and Aquaman I've played into this run so far since we don't have an Aquaman book right now. Um, and that Philip Kennedy really Johnson's got to be writing the next Aquaman, the next you like Arthur so. run. Yeah. 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 That would be cool. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's just something about this run that feels really fresh to me so far compared to 
really any of the Superman stuff we've had in a while. Like, I know we all kind of liked the Bendis run at first, and then it fell off. I think we can all agree. Um, oh. Same same with the Tomasi run before it. Um, and, and who knows, this could be the same case where it starts off really interesting and then falls off. But I, I just think it's really cool. And I also really have been enjoying the um, Midnighter backup as well. So Vince, what did you think of this issue? Um, for me, it's kind of the same same story that it's been. Um, certainly better than his Superman stuff. Um, I'm way more invested than the mysterious Kryptonian science cult, whatever this is. Um, I'm I'm way more interested in the mystery behind them than I am the the aliens from the other book. Um, I just think. They're, uh, you know, even though they're still mysterious in some way, they're, they're, they're better defined and less, less cliche, I think. Um, I agree with Zach. I love the Aquaman inclusion in here. It ensures that, well, Aquaman and Atlantis don't have a book right now. They're, they're still represented somewhere and in a way that really plays into the, the DCU narrative in a satisfying way. Um, I like that. I, I think at one point, um, is that this book where, where Superman's like, I want the justice league in on this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah, I just like when, you know, I like when the books can be siloed off into these different families as they should be. But I like when they at least pretend that like the justice league exists and, and, is there to assist with things that go beyond the scope of just one of them. Right. Um, and so that it's really fun to, to, to see Philip Kennedy Johnson uh, play around with that. And as far as the midnight or backup goes, I draw, I'm not reading it anymore. Yeah. I thought this was okay. Um, more than okay. I thought this was very good. I, I think that the, the world world stuff continues to be intriguing and I think that it's really fascinating to sort of see, like, you know, across a number of books, we have now seen this um, this hint towards future state, right? We've seen sort of the, especially in Green Lantern right now, for instance, um, we've seen a lot of of the the path to future state. We've seen it in some of the bat books and we're seeing it here. But while I thought the future state Superman stuff was fun, it was never like the future, the world stuff wasn't my favorite future state stuff, but I'm really enjoying the build to this. And I, I don't think we're ever going to get the full future state status quo, but I'm enjoying the build here. The Aquaman stuff is fantastic. I think the stuff with Lois being able to communicate with that refugee, in a way that Clark can't, I thought was a well done piece. Uh, overall, that is really good. I am also over this backup though. So, yeah. Maybe it's just because I read all three parts of it like in quick succession today or over the last couple of days. But I really like Michael Van Oming's art a lot here. Like, I, I know we all really liked Gleb on that future state issue, but I, I think Oming does a good job and um 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still really digging this back up a lot. Yeah, I'm sure if I read it all at once, I'd enjoy it a little bit more, perhaps. Um, but anyway, let's move over to Checkmate number one by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maliev. I had sent you guys a screenshot from this of just some unbearably Bendis dialogue. And this issue bugged me dialogue-wise in a couple of ways. I really didn't like that he has Green Lantern say, or Green Arrow rather, say supposedly, which is like (laughs) the dumb person way of saying supposedly. I I didn't even notice that. Yeah, he says that. And I just feel like, what the fuck, man? Why would you even do that? That's... That's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> that is dumb. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just just bad. I I don't like this book. I'm just gonna go ahead and put that out. Okay, there. so I, I want to talk about that. I, why don't you like it? Well, for for one thing, like kind of like we already talked about, it just doesn't fit with the other things that are going on around it. It feels like a story that should have come out a year ago and not not even just because of covid like it just feels like something lost out of time um not so extreme but it's like when they brought it's like when jeff lemire did that inferior five comic that was a direct to follow-up to invasion um it, it feels like that although the, the space of time is obviously not quite as far or quite as long um it just yeah it it's just it it just feels like it feels like a waste of the checkmate property to me. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that at all. And like we were all really jazzed when when Bendis teased checkmate in his action comics run. Do you remember that like really fun issue where Lois and Clark dressed up? Yeah, and there was that that page that was like a flashback to a checkmate story that never really happened but like bendis was presenting it as this like lost checkmate story right and like this kind of promise of checkmate being back in the dcu and being a big deal and now it just really feels like an afterthought to me and it's still tied up in all this leviathan stuff that just doesn't matter or feels like it doesn't. Yeah. I and mean, it's also not a good story. <laughs> well, so it's just, it's funny that this book comes out this week where we have like Talia Al Ghul doing much more interesting things in a different book or the Al Ghul yeah. family rather being more interesting in a different book. And we have just, it, it just, this, this so seems like a book out of time and I don't think Bendis is writing these characters particularly well. I think that that initial first scene of all of them like in a room together kind of all chatting is just full of so much obnoxious Bendis dialogue. I I I, I want to like this cuz I like Checkmate as an organization and I think that there's a lot of good characters that can be incorporated into that organization, but it just it isn't a great this isn't a very good story. And I also think that for the most part, Maliv is kind of wasted here. He's just forced to do a lot of boring scenes, and we don't get to see the full like scope of his, uh, of his you know prowess. Also, do we care who King is? I, I do, but 
I do, but I I, just, I know it's not going to be a satisfying. I I look at that character and I think, okay, that's a cool design. It's I like that it's a mysterious person that may or may not be somebody from the past. It might you know it might just be a totally new character. Um, I like the air of mystery there, but then like I just know because it's Bendis that it's it's gonna amount to a fart in the end. And at one point he has uh the character say I'm like totally a human person. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I can't believe I have to say these words out loud, but I'm like totally a human person. And I don't know I I uh, that's not King like King's talking to Lois Lane, right? And so you could interpret that as like you know, if somebody was talking like that to him where he's like, you're if somebody was saying like, oh, you're like not a human, but it's Lois Lane speaking to him very formally. There's no reason for him to respond that way. Um, it's again, it's it's Bendis um, making a character sound, you know, like a valley girl or whatever, no matter who the, the character is or what their background is. And I can't believe that when he writes these scripts, he doesn't see that and think like, I should maybe make a different choice there for once in my life. <laughs> you know? That said, I look at this spread of the Checkmate team, like the double pager where they're all in the same room. And I, I look at that and I go like, I want to read a book about these characters in this kind of clandestine organization there, there's something to this and not it's squandered in this issue and i just feel like it's going to be squandered through the whole thing there's just never enough pomp or there's never enough going on in bendis's books really <laughs> i agree with that yeah, yeah. and i'm I'm a little worried that this marks I don't know, I'm I'm torn. We can this is kind of a more macro idea, but um I I, I kind of feel like Bendis is a, a man without a home right now at DC. And yet yet I don't necessarily see him being completely done there. Like I can't see I cannot see him leaving DC without doing a Batman run, right? That that seems right. crazy to me. I can't see him leaving DC without doing like a crisis of some sort. A big, well, he, uh, he he teased that he is doing one like two years ago, right? But like a big, yeah, you know, a big event like that. Well, yeah. it's really weird to me. I think he has the flagship book of the DCU, arguably right now, in Justice League. Although I guess you could also argue that like Batman is the flagship book, but always and forever. The, he has the flag flagship team book, you know. And he is now doing Checkmate, which is a delayed version of a of another book. He keeps talking about how he is still doing something with Legion, mm -hmm. which you know, why isn't that out right now? What's keeping what's keeping that from coming out? He just today was tweeting about, or maybe it was on Instagram, it was on social media, he was, someone had asked him about 
Naomi season two, which he says that's being worked on right now too. He he clearly still has like so many different projects that are being worked on, but it seems like there is no momentum for any of his stuff. If if that makes sense, no, that makes total sense. Um, I I wonder how much of this is that he was a guy brought in by Didio. Uh-huh. And so now that Didio is gone, he doesn't have a champion there. Although I think Bendis is a big enough name that you're going to get – they want him to write books, right? They don't want him to sit on the sidelines. Yeah. Well, the situation feels not too dissimilar to like where I feel like King is right now in D.C. Or even John's. Where, or John's, yeah. Yeah, where these like big names that have things, you know – that are like on the burner, but the question is always like, one, do they matter? And two, are they ever going to come out? That's an excellent question. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Anything else to say about this book? Mm -mm. All right. Let's move over to detective comics, 1038 written by Mariko Tamaki illustrated by Victor Bogdanovic. So, Zach, you did not catch up with tech before reading this issue, right? I, I did not. I came in blind at Vince's encouragement. What did you think of this issue coming in blind? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I followed it. The The parts that I felt like it, it felt like a very disjointed issue to me. And I don't feel like that is because I didn't read the two issues prior it felt like it just jumped around a lot and made a lot of leaps in the story. Like for instance, there's, there's a part. So the first like third of the issue is Batman fighting this, this rich guy with a bazooka and he captures him. And then the next page is him going to jail. And then the next page is him leaving jail. (laughs) (laughs) So, it it just felt like a very strangely paced issue to me. I don't disagree with that. This is a this is a strange this is this is like part two of the Bogdanovic story from last time, and um, I feel like Bogdanovic's art style is so different than Dan Mora's. Like Dan Mora draws a more or less like realistic, for lack of a better word, comic, and then here you get that guy with the giant fucking gun that's the size of a car, essentially. <laughs> that's the most ridiculous thing I've seen in a long <laughs> Yeah, time. and so it just, it, it feels a little bit disjointed from what this book has been, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad issue. Vince, what did you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, story with this one is the same as it's been, and I, I don't think uh, Bogdanovic's art, art has changed anything for me. I think... If, if there's one thing that I regret while reading this is that I, I almost wish it committed to just being a Bruce Wayne mystery. Um, I feel like it was going at this really fascinating pace in the issues before this, where it was it was Bruce kind of going around as himself, hobnobbing with the with society people and and trying to get to the bottom of this and now in this issue it just kind of turned into a batman and huntress affair uh 
which, you know, I think, I guess that's inevitable in, in Batman stories. I, I kind of, I was more into it when it was just Bruce kind of slinking around and maybe getting, getting into some trouble, get, getting over his head when he couldn't rely on being Batman. Th- that was so much more interesting to me. The, the book is still, it's like, it's still a solid issue of Batman, but man, I, I, I was interested when it was just Bruce. Um, I, I almost wish it were like Huntress is costumed as Huntress and Bruce is still somehow just working as Bruce and they were teamed up. That would um, be interesting. Yeah. But I think that's just the way these things go. Any thought on the uh, Penguin Redemption arc backup? I thought it was really goofy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. What is it? Tr- is it trying to like reestablish Penguin as a as a legitimate threat before the so. before before the movie? <laughs> well, possible. I didn't even think about the movie because the movie's still so far away. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It was nice to see the Batgirls in action. Oh, yeah. The art always. was good. I liked the art. Yes. We should mention that backup was written by Megan Fitzmartin and illustrated by Carl Mostert. Yeah, I wish I, I had more to I've say grown about to it. Li- I've grown to like Mostert's art. I, I was a skeptic when, let's see, what was... The first thing I remember really reading was that deceased... Um, side book from like uh-huh. six months or a year ago um, and I was kind of a skeptic but now I see like it's got that like uh, you know, like Nick Patara mm-hmm. um, yeah uh, who else am I thinking of quality to it um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Um, eh, it is it's closer to Patara than you know say like a like a Burnham or yeah Burnham was the other one I was thinking of yeah yeah but you're right it's yeah that's a little further away it's Burnham's almost more, kind of like um more on the quietly spectrum yes of things yeah no, I was gonna say it's, like it's that like in a that Lima. In- Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, uh-huh. but definitely in that inspired, like the quietly expire inspired school mm-hmm. there. Yeah, which I'm I'm always a mark for. Yes, absolutely. All right, that brings us to Robin number three by Joshua Williamson and Gleb Melnikov. Uh, Vincey, start us off with this one. Um, boy, I'm just. I'm over the moon for this book. I, I don't think it can. It's one of those books that can't do any wrong for me. Um, I just think like this idea that like Damien has to be taught how to like make a friend or enjoy himself. And that doesn't really, of course that doesn't really like go the way you would expect necessarily. And he does like the, the trick with the knives very fun um and yeah just like it's just pure fun it's just just every moment of this is so self-assured in being its own thing and 
you know, not like tying in to other characters or the greater the greater Batman mythos, but um, just you know, confident to set itself apart and to look different and to be shown in manga esque and. Plus the stuff with with him and Connor was just beautiful. Them talking about their dads, you know, what's your dad like? Think about your dad. I want to meet that dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just man, and and the glove art. I mean, come on, that that Rachel Ghoul at the end when he pops in, <laughs> that design, like, come on, man. It's it's not fair how good he is and so fast. Yeah, this guy I feel like he kind of came out of nowhere for us. I mean, he yeah. he was doing work for a little while, but it just seems like he went from a guy who was doing, you know, uh who was doing work for you know, on, on relatively minor books to a guy who's now like one of the people I hear everyone talking about how great he yeah, is. Yeah, what what books were what was he on before? I mean, I feel like the first thing I saw him on was the, um, the future state thing. Actually, no, I guess he did. Um, he did that Jenny Hex special. He did the Jenny Hex yes. special. He did. Um. He's done an issue here and there of like Wonder Woman, Batman. Yeah. Um, he's done some um, anthology stuff for DC uh-huh. too. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, he 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 uh, crapped on Donny Cates and that, yeah, that's where his star to, really rose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Certainly uh-huh. for me. Certainly yeah. in my heart. <laughs> yeah. Um. It is. He is really good. Yeah, I I loved the Connor Hawk interaction on this issue. That scene was fantastic. I loved the Rachel Ghoul reveal. I just think this book is so different and so fun, and it really is doing stuff for Dave. Like we were talking uh, last week, I guess, about how for a lot of the a lot of the Bat books were getting, like a Catwoman in particular, were getting stories that don't feel like they're revealing anything new about the character. They might be technically good stories, but they just don't feel like they're teaching us much about these characters. And I feel like the exact opposite is true for Robin, where this is the first time I can remember Damien ever being... Like, I feel like I know so much more about Damien now than I did three issues ago, even if there hasn't been a lot of, like, confessional, you know, deep-rooted stuff going on here. It just feels like that's that's such a part of this story. That, that, that Damien's growth is such a part of the story that we can't help but learn so much more about him. It's just, it's really remarkable how much more we've learned about Damien in this book so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this is uh, this is a book, this is one of the few books that I haven't gotten to talk with you guys with about because it came out, it started after I went on leave. Um, and um, I think 
you know, I, I said at the beginning of this, I think like I like action comics a little bit. Well, okay. I'm, I'm more invested in action comics. I think right now in the story, I think that this is technically a better book because of all the things that we've mentioned, the art, the uniqueness of it, um, like kind of how special it is. And like some of the, 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 you know, Vince mentioned the like shonen aspect. Part of me really hopes, and I think maybe I'm already kind of uh, proactively down on this book a little bit because I want this to like fully embrace the the shonen idea and i want this book to just like be 50 issues of them on this island like <laughs> just have yep. a, like I, I want this to be the arc you know Th- then there's a time skip and... sure yeah uh-huh yeah. yeah i like i want this to like last a long time and i i feel like williamson and and melnikoff are like introducing us to a lot of cool new characters that could really carry the story for a really long time but also knowing like just how cape comics work i would be surprised if like damien's on this island for more than like 12 issues mm-hmm. um and and that kind of like bums me out a little bit i find i because uh, I, I feel like so much of what the book is and what it's been billed as is this this um you know, this like mortal combat tournament on this Island. And like, once the book gets outside of that, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of afraid it's going to lose some of what makes it unique and special. Sure. Because like, where, where does Damien go after this? He, he goes back to Gotham, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, like, I think this is like, I'm handling some themes that like, so like the last few years of Damien has been him like, being at odds with Bruce, you know, he, he had that whole teen Titans arc, which I think I didn't read all of, but I read enough of to kind of get the gist. And I think it was maybe just not the best use of the character. Um, and now he's like still on the outs with the, with, you know, the, those, his, his family essentially. But I think it's been being handled in a much better way. I think the stuff with like him talking to Alfred is really great. Um, I think it's really well written. This this is probably technically the best book at DC right now, from what I've read. <laughs> I think that's yeah. I think that's true. It, it's right up there. If it's if it's not number one, it's it's right up there. This is yeah. just such a such a fun, inventive story. I. Uh, yeah, my hat is off to to Williamson and Melnikov here, and it's funny because I feel like if you had pitched me this without context, and it's like it's a book about there's gonna be a whole issue about Robin trying to make friends, I'd have been like that sounds like the dumbest shit in the universe. Who cares? Robin shouldn't have friends. He's Damian Wayne. He's the grandson of Rachel Ghoul, Whatever. But the scene is just so well handled, and Williamson and Melnikov make it so fun. I don't see how you can't fall in love with the character in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just fantastic. All right, well let's let's move over to our final book of the week, which is Teen Titans Academy number three, written by Tim Sheridan. Not, not number three, number four rather, uh, written by Tim Sheridan with guest art by Steve Lieber. I will, big get. I will never complain about Steve Lieber filling art. Fantastic stuff. Um, so 
when we last left this book, we were it was uh, in the middle of a crossover with Suicide Squad, and I don't think any of us were necessarily super jazzed on that. But this issue is totally focused on the Bat Pack, and this is a group of characters that has been in the background from the beginning, but we have not really interacted with much. So, Vincey, what did you think of the Brat Pack focused issue? The the Bat Pack. Bat Pack. I mean, keep saying Brat Pack. It's it's there. There is Brat Girl. So it, it there is, is Brat Girl. Yes. There is Brat Girl. Yeah, yeah. And I believe. Uh, ah, damn! If I could remember, was was Emilio Estevez in the Brat Pack? He was. <laughs> yes. Was he was. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're not in this, but um, but the Bat Pack is, and this issue was a delight. It was fun funny um the lieber art i i feel like it was i i hope this is no slight but i feel like it was a little bit discount lieber compared to like the jimmy olsen stuff i kind of agree with that a little bit yeah but but discount lieber is still fantastic. discount lieber is still very good and that like still lots of great like facial stuff which is kind of um Lieber specialty and uh great comedy stuff um i i love these characters these bat pack characters all of them they're they're man that's the best thing about this book is that like there's an entirely new cast of characters alongside these old titans characters and they're all good and they're all interesting in their own way and yeah. i want you know what the thing remember what i said about that um ghostmaker backup that spent way too much time with that one like inconsequential villain it gave him an entire origin issue yes um i would love an origin issue for any of these teen titans academy characters i would love a like another issue that focused on stitch or something just like this bat pack issue mm-hmm. um that's I think test- we need that too, honestly. Yes. Like, right. That um, that's that's a testament to the to the work that's being done here with this title because most of the time I feel like less is more in comics and like to be more succinct or to get the point across in a couple pages is is better than to take a whole issue. But honestly, like I I'm so in love with the world that this that Tim Sheridan and the artists are building for Teen Titans Academy that, you know, give me an issue like this for every one of these characters. It's, it's just fun to spend time with them. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I thought this was great. I thought that the, the bat pack thinking that they can um, solve the, the red X mystery was a lot of fun. I thought overall, the Libra art was good, even if you guys are going to shit on it because you're malcontents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but you know, I, I, this was a lot of fun and I, I like their, I like what each of these characters brings to the overall sort of teen Titans team. I, I think we haven't really seen a teen Titans team that had a faction like this within it before. So I like how, how different and how creative that is. I have nothing but good things to say about this book. I cannot wait to see what the long game for this book is going to be. 
and I just hope it gets 100 issues to tell that story. <laughs> yeah, I think this is probably my second favorite book right now. Um, I think the only reason that action edges it out a little bit is I really didn't care for issues two and three. Um, with the the, I thought the storytelling was a little muddled with that. The Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it it kind of jumped around and in in really weird ways and. I haven't read those Suicide Squad issues, but I, I did flip through them, and I don't, from what I saw, it didn't really look like they added that much to the story. Um, so I just kind of thought the storytelling was a little muddled there, but I feel like it swung back around in this issue in a really strong way. And I'm, I'm really kind of mixed on making the Red X mystery like so much of the focus this early on. But I thought this issue used it use the mystery in a really good way to highlight all of the new characters and to kind of tell us a little bit more about all of the new characters or a lot mm -hmm. of the new characters at least. Yeah. I, I think that it's really valuable in that sense where the book can use the red X mystery whenever it needs to get inside of a character a little bit deeper. You mm -hmm. can, you can use it to tell that. I don't know if you necessarily need it to be an every month thing like it's been so far. And it has been. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, no, I liked this issue quite a bit. As you should. Yeah, so, I think. Oh, can I just say one go more ahead. thing? Yes, please. Of course. I just, I, you know, Tim Sheridan came from the, the world of animation, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing that marvels me so much about this is that so far, each issue, I mean, there there is an overarching narrative here. Um, there is kind of a, a issue to issue uh, through story, but I feel like I feel like every issue, um, stands alone in its own way too like you can sometimes like if i think about uh tinyan's latest bat arc and i know i keep using I, like i'm enjoying that book well enough but i keep using it as an example of like some of the things that annoy me about comics <laughs> ironically but like if you think about his most recent arc i i can tell you what the story of the arc is i cannot tell you for sure what happened in that arc in a particular issue if that makes sense sure but in yeah. Teen Titans Academy, I can tell you a story that happened within each issue. And then, like, it does have that that overall narrative. But it really, it, it feels like it's mixing the best thing about, like, DC animation, which tends to be either standalone episodes or, like, maybe two-part arcs, right? Um and long form comic storytelling. It's like it's like Sheridan gets how to use both of those um talents together. Mm -hmm. You know? And the, the, to me those are the best kind that's the best kind of comic storytelling. I I want something that doesn't spend too much of its time on one thing even as it's kind of building this 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 big world across many issues. Well said. Yeah. 
I agree. I agree. And also, I think Stitch might be my uh, <laughs> breakout Infinite Frontier character. Stitch is yeah. so good. There's Everyone a line, loves Stitch. There, there's a line where he says, uh, smokers are jokers and vapists <laughs> are, and then it cuts <laughs> off, and it's just uh, absurd and wonderful and, and terrible yeah. all at the same time. Fantastic stuff. It is. Now, Vince, am I putting you on the spot by asking you what comes out next week? No, I got it. All right, um, look at that. Ne- yeah, it's it's a weird week. It's one of those like annual only weeks. Mm-hmm. So we've got the Action Comics uh, 2021 annual, Catwoman annual, um, the Flash annual. Then we have the Green Arrow 80th anniversary, Super Spectacular the infinite frontier secret files which i'm assuming i don't know this for sure but i'm assuming it's a collection of the it's a collection of the digital first series yes so so yeah so rather than getting caught we'll get caught up that way yeah versus and then the teen titans academy 2021 yearbook uh you forgot one title though my friend Oh, but it's not on my list. What What is the one title? I believe that that is also when Wonder Girl number two comes out. Oh, okay. That's not that's not on the list I'm looking at. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll believe you. The one I'm looking at mentions it, and I'm pretty sure it's been almost a month since the last Wonder Girl issue, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Man, I'm very excited for that action comics annual so am i and i don't know i have not looked at the solicit for the flash annual yet but it it looks like it might be the the sort of finale of this time jumpy uh thing so i'm yep. interested to see how that all wraps up too yep it is the finale of that uh the catwoman the catwoman annual is interesting in that it it's it has art by kyle hotz Ooh. Um, who's very good, but it's a it's a like Father Valley origin story or something like that, which I feel like we don't need. Nope. Um but yeah. Um I kinda wonder if Wonder Girl has been delayed because it's not on DC's website. Oh mm. it's not. Yeah. I'm okay. thinking that might be the case. Okay. Well, maybe they only have they only have issue one still right now. Here, hang on, let me let me look this up here. I was just gonna say I'm looking comicsology while we're killing time here. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not on there either. Okay. <laughs> wow, well, maybe it is delayed then, which is which is does not does not bode well for the series if issue two is already delayed. Oh, I mean, I feel like I feel like by issue. They're gonna let, they're gonna let Joel Jones try to do like an arc, and like then the they're first gonna six have issues, yeah, yeah. Then they're gonna have uh, Fernando Blanco or somebody, <laughs> you know, it'll Fernando Pizarin, which is not, yeah. Who's doing the Flash annual? By the yes. way, oh, okay, there you go. So Zach, thank you for joining us again tonight. We're happy to have you back. It's good to it's good to be back with you guys. You know, I I moan and groan about reading a lot of these comics and for good reason it's a terrible burden and no one should have to do it but if i if i have to do it with anybody i'm glad it's you guys so (laughs) i'm glad we're all in the trenches together with this if you have to find two-thirds of us we are on twitter i am a brian is an app and i am at wilker fox if you need to find vince he is in the he's going on shark tank this week to (laughs) 
pitch a product that he thinks is going to be all the rage. And he posted on Farmers Only about it earlier tonight, and that is his uh, bat-shaped dental dams. So <laughs> make sure to pick those up when they hit Kickstarter or wherever they're going to be. So thank you for listening. And They uh, are 69% effective. <laughs> It sounds about right with that shape. It wouldn't be very conducive to like protecting against anything. So right, yeah, you know, people come in all shapes and sizes too, and so you know, these are not necessarily one size fit all. <laughs> so use them with caution, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, what do they think? What are they saying about fandom when they say only villains go down? <laughs>